Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The reading this morning is Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father's father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what it was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the holy Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised. Once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. 
The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful, and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Uh, Growing up, uh, my school set aside the first two weeks after the Christmas holidays and dedicated it to cross-country running. Now, I was a, a prop in the front row of the scrum. I was built like a prop, I ran like a prop, and my natural habitat was not cross-country running. And so within seconds, my lungs would be burning, my muscles aching. I would be looking for any excuse uh, to stop running. One year, it was blisters. Another year, a bit of a sore throat. Another year, some family commitment ruled me out of the big race on the Saturday. But for all seven years, not once did I finish the big race at the end of the two weeks on that Saturday. Hebrews 12 begins with the news that the Christian life is like a race, not a 100-meter sprint over in a few seconds, but much more like a marathon, a hard, long race. That, verse 1, inquires, requires perseverance. And if you're like me, not a big fan of running, well, it's, it's not great news. My first thought, personally, is... Why does the Christian life have to be like this kind of race? Why couldn't it be more like a country walk in the sunshine with cream tea halfway around before we get home? And the danger is that as we hear the news that the Christian life is like a long race requiring endurance to keep going, the danger is that we will make our excuses will drop out and will stop running just like I did in the cross-country races at school. The author with a pastor's heart is aware of the danger and in the rest of Hebrews 12, we see great encouragements to keep running for those of us who are weary. The first encouragement is in verse two. Uh, Let's keep running, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. My PE coach at school used to stand at the corner of the pitch shouting at us across the playing fields, keep going, keep running, as we slogged around the course. But not God. God has stepped into our world in the person of Jesus. He has run the race before us. Jesus is a co-sufferer with us in this race in the broken world that we live in, he's been tempted and hungry and lonely and confused and fearful about the future in all the ways that we are in our race. And more than that, he has died on the cross as the perfect sacrifice and he has brought us into God's presence. We don't run alone Jesus has gone before us. We don't run to get into God's presence. We've already been brought in. And we don't run in fear. No, we run with joy knowing how the ending will come. And so when the race feels hard, 
Uh, Here is the first encouragement of Hebrews. Look to Jesus, our pioneer, the perfecter of faith. But this morning, our focus is on the second encouragement the author gives us. It's there in verses 4 to 17. And here we see that there is purpose in the hardship of the race that is the Christian life. God is not wasting our tears or messing around with with the agony and, and stress we experience in this world. He is achieving something through the hardships of the race. There's a key word that comes up 10 times between verse four and verse 17. You've probably spotted it. The word is discipline. So look at verse seven. Endure hardship as discipline. How, how is this an encouragement? Discipline sounds a bit ominous, a bit threatening, a bit, a bit discouraging for weary runners. Not what we need to hear to keep us going, surely. And yet, as we look at the details in Hebrews 12, as we see how God uses discipline in our lives, I think we will see great encouragement to help us persevere in this race. So this morning, here are two points. We have two points this morning. Here's the first one. Discipline shows we are true sons. Look at verse four. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. From the context, I think the issue here is persecution for being a Christian. The readers have experienced some persecution at the hands of sinful people, but there's an implied warning that there may be more persecution to come. And if it does, they're simply following in the footsteps of the great pioneer, the Lord Jesus. Look back at verse three. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus experienced huge opposition from sinners and now these readers are being warned that they too may experience something similar. I've got three older siblings. Um, my oldest brother is seven years ahead of me. And uh, growing up, as, um, as he was ahead of me, he got various privileges for being the older brother. Uh, they came to him first. So I remember at one point he got a, a pay rise in, in the pocket money each week because he was seven years older. A bit later on, he got a, a proper pair of walking boots to help him with school expeditions because he was seven years older. I didn't get those things. He did. But seven years later, because my parents are fair, when my time came, I too got a pay rise in the pocket money. Eventually, I got the new pair of walking boots as well. My my brother's experience as the older one became my experience as the younger one. There's a, a family pattern to how we were raised. And in a similar way, there's a pattern to how God's sons experience life. Jesus is the older son. He's the true son, and we are the younger brothers in the family. Jesus experienced suffering. So will we. More than that, Hebrews 5 verse 8 says some weeks ago about Jesus, son though he was, he learned obedience from 
what he suffered. It's remarkable. Jesus was always perfect in his life. And yet his heavenly father allowed him to experience suffering to help him to grow in his obedience as he matured through his life as a person, Jesus Christ. And if God would allow our older brother Jesus to experience that, well, we too also will experience hardships in our lives as discipline. Indeed, when hard things come to us, it's not a sign that we are not part of the family. Actually, it's a sign that we are part of God's family. We are sons. To underline the point, the author takes us back to the Old Testament, Proverbs 4. Look at verse 5. He says, Have you completely forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? And then here comes the quote. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. The language of sonship here is significant because in the culture of the day, sons were the ones who received the family inheritance. In Christ, we are all sons, whether we are male or female. But it is a sign that as sons, when we experience the loving discipline of a heavenly father, that we are part of the family. And of course, this is how human families work. Uh, That's the point being made in verses eight to nine. If we are a parent and we have a young child, we care deeply about them. Imagine one of our children starts to wander towards a busy road. We're gonna cry out, stop, because we love them. Of course, if the child continues to walk onto the road, we're going to run over and we're going to, we're going to grab them and bring them back to safety because we love them. And we might kneel down next to them and say, listen, you, you've got to be careful. When I say stop, you need to stop. And if they've done it twice before that day, we might even pick them up and put them back in the buggy and strap them in for 10 minutes just to cool down and to think about what we're saying. Different parents will have different approaches, but all parents are the same. If we love our children, we will discipline them because children need that care and support as they grow up in life. And if a child receives no discipline, well, verse eight, you wonder if they have any parents at all. And if that is true of human fathers, how much more is it true of our heavenly father? He loves us too much not to discipline us. And so verse seven again sums it up. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children. And so discipline shows we are true sons. Across the book of Hebrews as a whole, living in this broken world is hard in so many ways, not just because of persecution, And there'll be some Christians around the world for whom persecution is the key hardship. I don't think it's so much for us here. But there are other ways that we experience hardship in this life. The sin of our own hearts that verse 1 talks about, that can be a real challenge. The sin of others around us, that can be a challenge. The general groaning of this world, sickness, hardship, disappointment, growing old, all kinds of ways in which we can experience troubles and lose hearts in the race. 
But these verses are giving us a perspective to have in mind when hard times come that can keep us going. Our heavenly Father loves us. He is not being abusive towards us as some human parents can be. In his perfect loving wisdom, he is allowing us to experience hard times because discipline shows we are true sons. But why? Why would God treat us this way? What is God doing? Well, next, our second point. Discipline produces a great harvest. I guess many of us have a plan for how we want our future to turn out. England winning the Euros tonight. Wouldn't that be wonderful? If you're English. I know in general, I want a nice life with nice friends, a nice house, nice hobbies, nice holiday, nice health. I mentioned a few weeks ago how um, I sometimes find myself watching YouTube videos of walkthroughs of camper vans, and some of you laugh, but I do do it, because I imagine myself on holiday with a camper van, um, sitting outside with a cup of tea in the sunshine with an amazing view, reading a book, having a nice, relaxing time. I, I would like a nice, easy life. I guess I'm not alone in that. Did you know God has a plan for our lives? And it's not always the plan we have. Look at verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You see, our Heavenly Father has a plan for us which involves a transformation of our character and conduct in this life to make us more like Jesus. Of course, because of his death, we are already made perfectly righteous before God. But here we're talking about a change in our behavior, which means we increasingly become like Jesus in practice as well. So often when life is hard, we ask God to take away the hard thing, a challenging friendship that we struggle with, poor health, uncertain future. We focus on the pressure of the circumstances, and God does care about the heat we face. In Hebrews 4, we heard months ago that we have a high priest who does sympathize with our weakness. He does care about us. He's, he's praying for us now in heaven because of the challenges we face. But here in Hebrews 12, God also cares about not just the heat, but our hearts as well, our character and conduct. I think of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians uh, talking about this thorn in the flesh that he experienced. We don't know what it was, but he says it was a, a messenger of Satan and, and he pleaded to God to, to take it away. But God didn't and God explained to Paul that he would keep it there to help Paul the apostle understand something of God's power and Paul's weakness. There was a, a growth moment in Paul's understanding and character which God was, was bringing about through this thorn. It, God didn't cause the thorn, 
but he used it for loving purposes. And that's very much the pattern here in Hebrews 12. If we are proud, then God does want to grow in us humility. If we are self-reliant, God does want to grow in us dependence on him. If we are judgmental of others, God wants to help us to see our own sin and our own weakness too. If we are materialistic, God wants to help us to live for him, not for stuff. And so here we're seeing in Hebrews 12 that that discipline produces a great harvest. Now just a word of caution. I think human nature tends to second guess what God is doing in our lives when hard things happen. I don't know, so we, so we, we apply for a dream job, we don't get it, and so we try to work out what God is doing when we don't get the job. We, we try to second guess him. I don't know, we think, well, well, maybe God's trying to teach me humility or, or reliance on him, and he might be doing that, but we don't know so often what God is doing in the painful things of life. Like a child often doesn't understand what a parent is doing. So often we don't understand how God is using things in our lives to discipline us. And sometimes we will face far harder situations than a failed job interview. As a pastor, I get invited into the pain of the church family and often in the tears as we weep together, we have no idea what God is doing in, in this situation. It is beyond us. And so we need to be careful not to second guess God or to try to draw a neat, tidy line from, from the pain to the purpose. This side of glory, I think so often we just don't know. Take it, when Christ returns, we will be able to look back and see how our Heavenly Father used all the challenges of our lives for good to make us more like Christ. But so often in the present, we don't know. But what we do know in Hebrews 12 is that the, the agony of the, of the long race, the, the marathon experience of having to keep running day after day, it's not wasted that pain. Our Heavenly Father is using it purposefully in our lives for good to make us more like Christ. And I wonder if you notice that as we grow in righteousness, there is a harvest of peace. I don't know, we think that peace is found sitting outside a camper van, sipping tea, reading a book with a great view. If only we could have that, then we'd be at peace. But that kind of escapism doesn't secure peace. But as God grows in us righteous longings, a love for him and a love for our neighbor, actually that is increasingly the life of peace in this broken world. It is a good direction of travel the Lord is taking us in. Discipline produces a great harvest. And so we're back to where we started, verse 12. Therefore strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. We're in a race. We are running home towards the new creation. Keep those arms moving. Keep those knees pumping. The race is worth it. 
know our heavenly Father is using every hard moment for a great purpose. And it's a race that we need to run together. Look at verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Many people this week have been talking about how unified the English football team seems to appear at the moment. You know, they seem to be best buddies, having a laugh together, a, a band of brothers. Um, it's wonderful to see that kind of unity um, as they go through the competition. And um, one football commentator, Gary Lineker, explained it this way. Togetherness is a lot easier when you're winning. Togetherness is a lot easier when we're winning. Thanks, Rob, for that quote, by the way. Uh, well, sorry, it's Gary Lineker's quote, but thank you for putting me onto it. Uh, and it's true, isn't it? You think back to five years ago when England lost to Iceland in the, uh, the last 16 of the year, it's five years ago, the, the, the English camp was splintered and fragmented. They were arguing and blaming each other, but, but this time they're winning and so they're together. And what's true of football teams can be true of church families. The danger for these Hebrew Christians is that when hardships come, and they will, that they start turning in on each other. And that's why the author says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone, not just when life is going well, but also in the moments of trouble. I just wonder if verse 14 is a word in season for us here at Fullwood Church. We'll be aware of the challenges we are in at the moment. We'll be aware of the news of Paul's resignation a few weeks ago and the different responses there are, different emotions that are facing us as a church family. It is a hard season. There's no doubt about that. There's much for us to learn, much for us to work through, and it'll take weeks and months, I think, going forward. But in the hard season, there is a danger that we begin to turn in on each other, to start falling out with each other, to not live at peace with each other. And I think Hebrew 12 can help us. Our loving Heavenly Father is still in charge. He's still at work amongst us. He can still use this situation to bring about good in our church family, to grow us, to become more like Christ. And if we can share that conviction together, it helps us not to be at war with one another, but rather at peace, knowing that together we move forward, growing together to become more like the Son. I'm not trying to draw a neat, tidy line between the pain and God's purpose. I, I wouldn't claim to know what God is doing in all of this, but we can see, can't we, that God has not lost control. He's our heavenly Father. He can use this for good. But knowing God is able to use this hard time for good, well, it helps us to be at peace with one another, but also it helps us to keep spurring each other on. Verse 15, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. Oh, you see, on the, on the journey, when, when the heat comes on and it's hard, it is possible to become fed up with God, to become bitter with the course he's chosen for us and to just give up, to stop running. And so the author says, we've got a mutual responsibility to look after each other, to keep spurring each other on, to finish well, 
to not become bitter and to allow bitterness to spread through us. Esau was someone who gave up. Uh, he, he chose short-term pleasures of a meal in exchange for the much better long-term promises of God. And he missed out, uh, and he was deeply sad to do so. For us Christians, we need others around us to say, don't give up on God and settle for short-term pleasures. Let's keep going for the long-term greater blessings that God has promised us. We need to keep going together. All this week, people have been singing, football's coming home. I won't sing it now. You know it well enough. It may, it may not. I wish we had time to look on at verses 18 and onwards to the end of the chapter, because in those verses, it's not football that's coming home. We are coming home. When we heard the words of the gospel proclaimed to us, we did not arrive at a mountain, Mount Sinai, No, we were brought to Mount Zion, a better mountain with better access to God. And if we hold on to the word of the gospel we've been given, then we will come home. We will make it to the end of the race and to the heavenly Jerusalem. Keep running. Keep those arms going, those knees pumping together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith who has gone before us. Help us to keep fixing your eyes on him. And also, Father, please help us to be confident that you love us, even in the hard times, that you can use any situation to bring about a great harvest of righteousness. Lord, please, would that be the case? Have your way with us, we pray that we might become a people increasingly shaped to be like your son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.